All right. Mic check, mic check. One Masters Podcast, your main of course. Got a special guest across from me, man. I got Mr. Wayne Frazier. How you doing? Doing good. Excellent. Good, good. Uh, I know that uh, we've been trying to get up for about almost two years, it seemed like, uh, <laughs> to get together and, and do a podcast. Uh, but before I, I say, um, you know, how I was kind of introduced to you, just tell people a little bit about, about yourself, like what you do and, and just who you are. Okay, uh, I'm originally from Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, I graduated from a high school called Bethune Junior Senior High School uh, in the 70s area, era. And now, after I graduated from high school, I went to the military. Stayed okay. in the military for 23 years. I'm married with my wife as a state representative, Gloria Frazier. And I have two daughters, one Lisa and one Kenya. One lives in uh, Orlando, Florida, and the other one lives right here in Augusta. And I have two grandchildren, one in Orlando and one here in Augusta. So, uh, and I was I retired from the military when I was, uh, well, I'd say it was about 95 when I retired. And I went in the school system. I stayed in the school system. I stayed in the military for 23 years, and I stayed in the school system for 20 years. I was uh, approximately 20 years in the school system. When I retired, and I was a principal at Glen Hills High School, Josie, and yeah, that's giving me back up, not Josie, Glen Hills High School, <laughs> the alternative school, and Tupman Middle School. Okay. And now uh, I'm on the school board, Richmond County School Board, representing District 4. Okay. All right. Um. <clears throat> so I did hear about you. Um. Uh, I first had a, a guest on. Uh, by the name of Cam, uh, and he he spoke of a situation, and some told me to to look it up because when he spoke about, it, he said it was in the newspaper, it was in it was in the Chronicle, it was in the Chronicle. So I tried to Google it, really couldn't find it. I googled you a little bit, and I think it came up, and I can see, I know how he looks, so I seen him, right. and the story he told was, um, I don't know what you called it, but you had this uh, this thing where uh, they had to get get the class by a certain time, mm-hmm. and then they couldn't have a uh, they shirt out. Right. And I think he was one late and then he had his shirt out as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like a picture of you, like, hold, like with, with your hand on the shoulder, like, pretty much he's in trouble or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was funny. Like, and then it was just like one of those situations where I was like, well, what's the odds of that? Of, you know, the type of guests that I have on. Right. I knew that 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 content would kind of attract the the likes of you and just people in that field, um, whether it's uh, old principals, teachers, people in the education field. So. That was a, a good episode, but that was a good clip to put out. And I don't right. think he expected me to find that because I actually put that clip, that picture, on the actual video. So okay. from that uh-huh. point on, I went and I would go live a little bit here and there, and I would say, well, who y'all want on? Who y'all want on? And every time I asked that, somebody would say, you need to have Wayne Frazier on. You need to have Dr. Frazier on. You need to have Frazier on, Frazier. And so I don't know if 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 this is what describes you to you, but this is, what I, this is my first introduction to you. I was live, and somebody said, you need to have on uh, Mr. Wayne Frazier or Dr. Wayne Frazier. I said, well, well who's that? Because I, 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 was, I wasn't aware. They said, well, he's like the Joe Clark of Augusta High School. So I don't know if that's something you were going by. I don't know if that was what you liked. But when they said that, I liked the movie. So when they said that, I said, well, all right, well, give me the information. And then from there, for like two years, me and you have been trying to get in contact. Right. <laughs> but we couldn't get in contact. Right. So uh, now here we are. So... What I like to do, I always start from, you know, the beginning with, when I talk to somebody. Right. So uh, before we get into, like, you know, the school system and, and that part of what, you, what you're what known for. So I know you said you was brought up in Louisiana. So talk, 
talk about um, growing up there. What was your child like? Um, your household? Oh, I was uh, like I said, Freeport, Louisiana, and if I were to look at a neighborhood uh, that's close to my neighborhood when I where I grew up, I would say is kind of like in the bottom, but. The, the bottom of the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, we had a shotgun house, and we didn't have any running water, basically. When you, I'm sorry, when you say shotgun house, what does that mean? That's a house with about three or four rooms, and you open the front door up, or the front door and the back door, and you can see straight through it. Okay, okay. That's a shotgun. That would call it a shotgun house. Gotcha. And I grew up in this particular house, with 11 of us, 11, uh, I had 10 other siblings. Uh, I was six girls and uh, five boys. And uh, I slept basically on the floor till I was 17. That really what drove me into the military, right, to get out of that kind of situation. Uh, we was on, like I say, 11 of us, we was on food stamps and welfare, you know, all my life. And to leave that situation with uh, different stepdaddies or whatever that was abusive to my mother and us. And I had a brother who shot my dad in the head right in front of all of us. Uh, so that's the kind of place I come out of. You know, I know what it feels like to be hungry and hadn't had any morsel of a crumb uh, for two or three days. And I've seen my sisters uh, hungry and my brothers hungry. And I, I got my first job uh, at a, I wasn't a teenager yet. I was about 10 or 12, I think, when we started working for the rent man. And we used to help my mother pay the rent, which was about $12 a week uh, for this shotgun house. And since that time, I've only been unemployed about six months in my life. And when I say six months, I, that's when I retired from the military and I waited six months before I went out and uh, started teaching in the school system. And after I left the military, well, I stayed in the military, like I say, 23 years, but uh, that was my way out, basically, going into the military. Had I, had I thought that I had other opportunities or felt like it was something else I could do, uh, other than the military, uh, that's probably what I've, I would have done. Uh, I don't, uh, I, I, I was in the military, but, you know, I didn't go in the military because I'm patriotic. Right, right. And I'm going to fight for the country that, that loves me and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. You know, uh, patriotism uh, is a two-way street, the way I look at it. We, it's a it's a it's lower to both ways, right? And uh, but anyway, I did what I had to do for twenty three years, and after retiring, I went around the world, seen a lot, and now what I'm doing is as much as I can is t taking my whole life, growing up in the military, in the school system, and now I'm on the school board, and I'm doing everything I can to give back, to make life better for those who, who's coming up like I am now, uh, like I was in a way. Well, I, I want to jump too quick. So I, I want to talk a little bit about just your coming up. So like 
like school wise, I know you say you went to school out there and stuff like that. What 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 ranking were you amongst your siblings? Like you know you had a lot of you said ten. It was, I was number two. So you was the second oldest. Mm-hmm. Okay, I so, knew how to comb hair. Get my my six sisters. I had to comb the hair, get them ready for school when my mother was in the hospital, pregnant or whatever. So all your sisters are younger than you. Uh, yes. Oh wow. Okay. All my sisters are younger. So uh, I did. We had to do the cooking, and my brother and I, whoever worked inside the house. Uh, both of us had to go to work early, but if he worked uh, in the house, that means I had to get a job on the outside because one of us had to be there most of the time, and and uh, no, no, neither one of us want to work on the inside. So we always tried to find us a job doing something <laughs> outside the house because we had to wash clothes on you know on a tub and all that kind of stuff and hang them on the line and help the sisters get dressed. But, but what age are we talking here? This is I'm like- talking about. Uh, you know, nine and ten up. I, so, I, first of all, it's when you're talking about a childhood. I know what it is not to have one, but you, you know, you, you just you just go out outside and play and have fun and that kind of thing. Right. You know, uh, I have. We didn't have time for that. When you're hungry and you, you know, you're living like that, you don't have time to grow up. You know, with with the other children. But it, it, at that time, did you make it a conscious effort to, to ensure that the younger siblings had a childhood, or was it just everybody got to work? Well, it was, uh, I didn't think, I, you know, it, I wasn't thinking that way. I was just thinking that we had to survive. You see, it was, it was a situation where we had to survive, and then we had to help my mama, you see. And that's the, the way we was, I was thinking in a way. And if it wasn't for my, I think my principal was the first man who ever looked me in the eye and told me he loved me. The first man who ever hugged me. You see, uh, I used to get, I did everything. I did, I did, I was on both sides of the fence when I was in school. I was a bully and I got bullied. So I know what it, this is when I got in the school system, <laughs> I know how I feel to be on both sides. Yeah. And the one, one, of, the, one of the things I remember is bullying this little boy, when he hugged his daddy, his daddy dropped him off at school, and he, him and his daddy hugged, and I call him old punk, you know, sissy, letting a man hug you. I didn't realize until late on the reason why I did that, because I really was jealous of him having a daddy to hug, mm-hmm. and I, was, I, I didn't have that. So, it's, you know, I, I lashed out, because you know you understand hurt people hurt people. Right. And uh, that that... One of the reasons why I was, I think I tried to be a bully because I didn't, I didn't want people to know how I was feeling inside. They said that sometimes. They said a lot of times when somebody bully, they're projecting like they, they're hurt on somebody That's else. That's right. So you make fun of somebody that something that you want. That's so exactly. You wanted that. You wanted that male figure to show love to you. That's you right. didn't have it, so you kind of tease him for it. Exactly. It made him feel bad for having that. But then you said on the other side of it, you said you were bullied. So like, what ways were you bullied? Well, because I was poor. And poor children, even though they might be poor, but if they have uh, a pair of shoes better than your shoes, you know how that go. You, you they're gonna pick on you. Yeah. So I was I was bullied uh, because you know being poor. If you come to school looking a certain, and I used to my I used to sleep on the pallet on the floor with my brother, and sometimes uh, he would urinate on me, uh, and he'd go to school smelling like urine. Mm. And you know, children gonna laugh at you. Sometimes the teachers turn their nose up. Uh, but fortunately, I had a teacher who 
would uh, have the custodian, the janitor that come get me or wait on me at the door and uh, change my clothes, give me a sandwich to eat because she knew I was hungry and took me in the classroom and treated me just like or better than the rest of the children, mm. you see. And then she would give me money on the side if we were on a field trip. She would pull me to the side and give me my $2 or whatever the field trip cost. And then nobody would see her. Then when she get ready to call everyone to her desk to give the money, I get in line with, with the rest of the students just like our, I had it all the time, you see. What, uh, describe your mom like for me. Like, What was your mom like? My mama was uh, <clears throat> was not uh, stable a lot of times when I'm talking about uh, she wasn't a highly educated person. I, I, I'd never known her to have a job outside the house. Uh, she couldn't drive, uh, so she was dependent on uh, her husbands, uh, boyfriends, or whatever. And she could cook, and uh, she fed us whatever she had. And I've seen her sacrifice eating herself a lot of times just for us. Uh, she could yell. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and uh, she can say some bad words every now and then. Uh, and she stopped drinking. She used to drink a lot. Mostly beer, but uh, th I didn't see this. But she told me, she told us uh, she was at this club, and she was with this man, and then her boyfriend came in, and she, and and told him to, told the man to leave, and the man didn't leave. So the other the other man came back with a shotgun and shot the man almost his head off, mm. and right right there while she was sitting with him, and she said. She, she left the club bloody, and she came home, and there was a fence, barbed wire fence around the club, and she climbed the fence at uh, she climbed this fence at, at at about eight months pregnant, seven or eight months pregnant with my sister, and from that point on, for the next I would say twenty years or so, she didn't drink she would drink and smoke. She did she stopped drinking and smoking from that incident. That's right, but in my mind. She went to totally opposite, uh, but in a in a in almost in a fanatical way. She she became a Christian, mm. and it was like anybody else who did what she had done was, you know, real bad. Don't you? If you drank or smoked, you you going to slap the hell. Oh yeah. Or she went yeah. straight into the church and everything, you know. <clears throat> And then she passed away when she was 51 years old of uh, ovarian cancer. Uh, how, were, how old was you around this time? Uh, at that time, I was in the military. I was in my 20s, mm. early 30s. How did that affect your younger siblings? Well, I didn't, I didn't wasn't right there with them because I was in the military. I, matter of fact, I was in Germany when she passed. And, uh, and uh, we had some... Some of them were still living in the in the house, and they continued to live there after she passed. But if I if it had affected anyone, that uh, I think in a real rough way, out of all of them, all of my sisters and brother, I would say it was me. 
because uh, I lost, I know I lost my mind. I was slapped crazy for at least a year. And I was in the military, and I, I went back to the, to, to the military, Germany, and, uh, you know, I, I had to get some help because I was out of it. I was gone because they, my mother and I really had a real close relationship. Uh, like we used to, I used to have to help her with paying bills and uh, help her with my other sisters and brothers, and she would always call me whenever there was in a type of situation, mm -hmm. emergency situation, or anything that she really couldn't handle, she would call me. And you and I would, uh, you know, talk to her and figure out something to make it go away. And on her deathbed, the thing I always remember is when she was on her deathbed, and she said, you always helped me when I couldn't get, the, the, get things fixed. She, she said, well, what can you do for me now? And the next day she was gone. Mm. But I made it through. And now what I always say this, my job now, if it's something, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I, I had a, I had the roughest life as a child because I know somebody had rough way worse than I did. But what I am saying is I'm just glad that I, I have, I have the wherewithal and the sense enough now to understand that my, my, my purpose is to help, help, help those less fortunate than me. Because uh, I don't understand how these children survive today, even though I'm j I just told you how I survived, what, what I went through. But the children that I see today are going through 10 times worse than what I've gone through. Seeing my mother die at an early age of, of 51 and seeing my daddy get shot in the head uh, and get killed by my siblings and not having enough to eat and living in a place that uh, you wouldn't put an animal in, these children here are having 10 times worse because I did have that principal who talked me, talked to me and treated me like I was his son and helped me get into the military. I did have that teacher who would help me in the school. Uh, and I did have a mother that would do the best she can, but it's a lot of these children not growing up, they don't have nothing in the home, mm -hmm. nothing in the community. Cause I had, that's another thing. I had a community around me. I had a, 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 a wino that lived in my community that was a drunk, but treated me and the rest of the children as if uh, we was his children and made sure it, if we cut class or he see us in the neighborhood somewhere, he going to tell my mama, tell everybody. So he took that, he took care of us, mm -hmm. you see. But these children not in the neighborhood, they, they have very few people in the community that's looking out for them. Uh, matter of fact, it's just the opposite now. We got, we got uh, pedophiles and, and old men uh, in the community using these children you say, instead of helping them. And then they leave the neighborhood and go to school. And I hate to say it because I'm part of the system, but some of these schools and some of these teachers don't mean these children no good. Mm -hmm. Zero. So these children don't have nothing. And I ain't going to talk about the church. Uh, first of all, uh, I ain't going to say all the churches, but some don't want them children in the, in the church. Don't have patience for that. You see, so where, where do these children go? If if we can't find a way to help them, they're not gonna get it. I want to um, ask because you brought it up like twice. So I want to make sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, did you have a relationship with your dad at all? Like, were you young oh, no, when that uh, happened, uh, or you no, just... uh, my dad left? My uh, 
my biological daddy left, I think I was about three or four years old. He went to California, married another lady. He got married to another lady out in California. But y'all didn't have a relationship at all? No, zero. So but the dad you speak of, that... That, that, that was that, my stepdaddy. But did y'all have a relationship at all? Yeah, we had one, but it wasn't real positive. Okay. And with... with so you got, a, you got an older brother? Yes. Or older brother, right? So what, what was y'all relationship like since you're now, the second oldest? What that's was my... That, my older brother... Unfortunately, is probably out of all of us is the one I have the closest relationship with. He lives in Ohio. Why you say unfortunately? Because it's bad to not have a relationship with uh, with your sibling that you were raised in the same house with. Right, right, okay. It's almost as if sometimes we just like strangers. It's a lot of y'all too. Yeah. And and so. How, how, and and you, earlier you said so much of mine. You said you had you said a lot of stepdads, so you had more than one. Well, my I put it this way: when I say stepdad, it was eleven children, and uh, out of eleven children, we had I say about three different fathers. Okay. In the day, it's it's almost it's it's worse today because we got what you call a uh, Baby daddies and this kind this kind of thing. My baby daddy, my baby mom, and all that kind of stuff. But and that's one thing. But the worst thing is not having a relationship. You know, just having the children. But don't. And that's not just uh, with regular people. I'm talking about movie stars. What's that boy's name? They got them ten, eleven children. Uh, one of those rappers or uh, Nick Cannon. Yeah, whoever he is. But <laughs> and, and you know, he might take care of them with money. Yeah, but 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 that's the least thing these some of these children need. If you can't have a, a personal relationship with your children, you know money really don't mean a lot. Yeah, you, you see that got, some, sometimes it's worse. You got some that don't do that either, though. Uh, that's right. It's double trouble. Yeah. Don't don't pay, don't take care of them, and they don't have uh time time to have a personal time with them in a way. Um, now I, I you gotta go into detail about it, but like with the situation you brought up about you know. Your stepdad, or seeing your stepdad, when your stepdads get shot, I'm not sure which one you was talking about. But was there any ramifications for any of your siblings, or y'all always? Well, my brother, that? That, his brother, my brother that shot him was uh, that was his biological son. He was my stepdad, but that was his biological son. So it was your, a younger, a younger sibling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. He but went he, to prison for it. I think he stayed about five or six years, but his his it messed him up mentally. He he haven't been right. He out of been out of prison. But mentally, uh, he's 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 gone. He's 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 uh, actually all the way. He's I think he lives in a shelter somewhere. Now, I, when I go home, I see him every now and then. But uh, when I see him, he's uh, and uh, and that him 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 and his mental is kind of from that situation though. That and drugs, because before that he was on uh. uh some kind of uh, mind altering drugs. I think it. Uh, he was doing all. I think he was doing all of it. But, but so, uh, that's the one that missed kept his mind go. Because you mentioned like uh, abuse. Like did that play a part in that situation happening? Was it abuse or just? Well, it was. Just, it's, uh, yeah, it was abuse all the time, all on a regular basis. You know, they get into it. Well, basically, I think for the most part, like I said, I went into the military and I didn't see a lot of stuff. You know, but after. Uh, 
Uh, I know a lot of verbal abuse, cursing each other out, this and that, or this and that. But I think that was the first time a lot, uh, maybe the first or second time that it was physical. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So t- tell me about. So you go. You you choose to go in the military, right? But before I, I get into that, so you said a principal, the principal there. Um, and, you, and you're a teacher, so in school, like, what did, what, what did school signify to you? Because that seemed like, so far, from hearing you talk, uh, you got teachers and principals that kind of took a liking to you or that well, gave, showed you something that you wasn't seeing at home. Well, I think they, it, I don't think, first of all, I don't think they took a liking to me. It's just the way they treated the children, period. Gotcha. On a, on a, on a, on a, it was a segregated school, first of all. It was before integration. So the whole school, is black teachers, black children, black principals, black everybody black. So uh, looking looking back at that, it was just like almost being in heaven, uh, <laughs> you know. But sometimes we don't know we're in heaven until you get something different. But we've jumped up and down for integration. And before I go any further, I'm gonna say this because I might not get a chance to say it again. To me, based on living in a segregated society in, in a neighborhood, in a school, and then being integrated, I went through the integration phase of uh, having to leave my school and go to a white school. And looking back at it now as a 70-year-old man, as a 70-year-old man, I think integration was the worst thing ever happened to us other than slavery. To me, but, based on our for education, for education and economic purposes, uh, segregation took us back, and that's just what I, I see. I don't have all the data to prove it. But based you on just what I said, from when you was in school, yes. Okay, we had teachers who cared about us on a you know way more than now. I'm not saying the teachers don't care now, but we had more of them. You know, they cared about us as if we were their children. And they lived in our neighborhood and our community. So, uh, but in the meantime, my uh, principal was my mother's teacher. So he knew the family. Okay. And he, w- he would talk to me on the side every day, not because he knew my mother. But because that's what he did, that's how he did all the school. It wasn't just Wayne Frazier. Uh, and when I was, uh, what I wasn't doing well, he would talk to me on the side or whatever uh, and let me know you need to do better or whatever. And uh, I, went, I was, my mind was made up to drop out, basically, because it, it, my, my family, we never talked about education. We was, we was too busy surviving, just like some of these children today. People don't understand. You know, you we talking to these children. You better open that book and you better do this. A lot of these children are too busy surviving. Trying to, and grandmama trying to put a food on the table, and she got two two part-time jobs. And so we and we we are talking uh, about these parents don't care, you see. But when you're busy surviving and trying to put food on the table, you ain't got the time to go to no PTA meeting and uh go to the school every day. So what we do is uh, today we don't have the amount of teachers we used to have that would come to the house and talk to you and the children or whatever. 
So uh, that, that's a that, that was a different era. But we need we need more of that now than we needed it then. Right. You see, because we don't have a, a neighborhoods that's safe. We don't have schools that's safe. You see. I I mean, well, I'll get into that in a minute. I make sure I, I bring that back up. That's a good point, though. Uh, but I want to talk about not too much though. But like, so straight from high school, you went to the military. Yes, and that was just more so for better life, better. Exactly. Uh, how did that pan out for you? Like, what, what was your experience like during that during them time? Was that twenty three years military? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna tell you when I first went in. I was shocked. What, what branch was you into? United States Army. Okay. I was shocked because I didn't know it could be so easy. You know, especially going through basic training, I seen, uh, you know, the other soldiers that had just come in and we had to go through basic training. And I, I saw them uh, couldn't make a bed. They couldn't make a bed. They couldn't shine their shoes. They couldn't. We had to go run uh, two or three miles a day or whatever. They couldn't run. I, I was physically fit. I know how to make a bed, even though I didn't sleep in one for the most part. <laughs> uh, I knew how to shine shoes. I know how to iron my own clothes, you see. And I, I, I was just shocked to see so many Young men come in. I thought it was normal, you know, basically, yeah. that you should know how to iron your clothes at least. I found out I had I was I was ahead of the game. And the other thing that shocked me is when I went to to breakfast the first time in the military. I I was in the in the line. They called it the child line. I was in the line, and these guys in front of me they had an egg. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but they put this egg on the grill, and then they put some meat in it some ham, then they put some cheese in it, and some peppers and some onions, then they flipped it over. And uh, I didn't know what it was. So I asked the guy, I said, what's that? He said, that's an omelet. I said, give me one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I need one of them. <laughs> so so, so uh, then, and then after that omelet, you still can eat. They give you some bacon or sausage and grits and potatoes, all that in one meal. It was very uncommon uh, for pancakes you. Pancakes and orange juice and milk, coffee, all that. I say, I ain't never ate that much food in a whole day. Mm. And this was just a regular breakfast meal. Three years later, the man told me, say, Fred, you can go home. You, 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 you got an honorable discharge. Honorable discharge, you can go. I, I said, where's the other paper? He said, what paper? When I signed up to stay, man, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> uh, I had my own bed, clean sheets on it, and I had three or four sets of uh, of uniforms to put on, uh, two pair of boots, a pair of dress shoes, two field jackets. Man, I ain't going nowhere. Staying right here, so I stayed for twenty three years, and I got promoted pretty, 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 pretty good. I was, I was selected after twenty three years. Well, after 22 years, I was selected for Sergeant Major, which is the highest enlisted rank you can get. And, uh, but I didn't pin it on. I didn't stay to pin it on because I retired after I got my, it took me 22 years also to get my a bachelor's degree. 
So I was going to school from the time I got the military until 22 years after I got my, it took me that long to get a bachelor's degree because I was going, whenever I wasn't stationed somewhere where they was fighting, acting a fool, I, I was going to school, <laughs> even, even taking correspondence courses. I never did, no matter what I did, I always took a class somewhere. Right. So it took me to 22 years to, to finally get a piece of paper, that, that bachelor's degree. And after I figured out, after that 22nd year they gave me the, what I I was uh, selected for sergeant major. I said, okay, I can stay here this, with this sergeant major or either start a new. I was 41 years old at the time, about 40, 41. But I could retire with 23 years in the military and start a new career. Instead of taking that sergeant major strike, I went on and retired and came into education. And then, like I say, did another career of about 20 years. So, uh, uh, it worked it, out. When you got in the military, though, I mean, it seemed like you had a, a, a great, a good time for the most part. Like, you know. Oh, yeah, um, for the most part, uh-huh. You, you didn't try to influence your siblings to, <laughs> to join the military as well? Uh, no. Because I knew, I knew uh, their, their, their uh, attitude, I know about, I know their attitudes and their personalities. And uh, I didn't. I don't think that was the best thing for, for my siblings. What What, what made you so different than them? Like your uh, personality, your attitude, and I, and theirs. I wasn't. And I'm not. That, I, I'm not gonna say I'm that different, but I just didn't. For instance, one of my brothers did follow me in. One of my brothers did come into the military with me, and the same one that uh, killed his father. Okay. He came in. Uh, no, he didn't. Excuse me. So many of us, I keep, I, I get, I keep, I get, I, I get my own sisters and brothers mixed up. It's a lot of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of them. So, uh, no, but, uh, but like one that the one that came in with you. What, what did they do? Like, did they? Oh, he 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 came in the military, and he came he came to Germany. And he wanted to be stationed close to me. And at that time, I was a first sergeant. And I had a friend of mine, one of my colleagues, a first sergeant. He got in my, my uh, got into his company, his unit. And he started smoking uh, that hash and smoked that. Oh, in Germany, they got that hash and marijuana. They got all this stuff, yeah. same stuff uh, over there. And he got hooked up and then he was getting in trouble. And my friend, who was his uh, supervisor, not his supervisor, but his first sergeant, uh, Timmy Frey, you, you know, how, how you want me to handle it? I say, just give him the same punishment you get the rest of the soldiers. Uh, <laughs> I love my brother, but he got over there on the Audubon and want to drive, you know, because he didn't have no speed limit over there. And he was just, he wanted to party too much. And then he won't get, want people to get him out of the, out of the, out of a jam. Uh, <clears throat> but he finally saw the light and got out, but he, he held me. He made it with my. It was my my fault because he, you know, got kicked out. Uh huh. <laughs> but uh, we finally got back together and squashed all of that. So all right. So uh, your military background, like, how did that? How did that shape you or change you, if any? Like, as far as your personality, your way of way of living, how you approach well, I, things. I put it this way: it's if you knew me when I was in high school. And you see me now, you know, after the military and after everything, 
you you will see that basically my personality and who I am haven't changed basically. Uh, and that's one of the things that I'm proud of of myself. You know, I went in the military. Basically, the way I am now, as a as it relates to who I am, and I came out basically the same way. I see a lot of guys go in the military when they come out. Uh, the military is in them, mm-hmm. and they, they can't let it out. I was in the military for 25 years, and we this way we did it, and I don't put up with this. You know, the military is gone, man. You don't <laughs> want to hold people. The people out here don't care. Don't no one really care about you being in the military, what you did. They, they'll pat you on the back and say, thank you for your service, you say. But, but some people don't really don't care. And then the people who say thank you for your service, most of them ain't going in the military and they don't want their children in there, you see. I looked at the military as just another organization where I had to go to work somewhere in the United States of America and go to work for somebody, uh, Walmart, the military, McDonald's. I'm going to be working for somebody else anyway. So I just chose the military. I just look at it as another organization. The United States of Corporate America. You gonna work in corporate in corporate America unless you got your own, and you still gonna be, you know, held to a certain standard. So anyway, uh, that's why I look at the military, and I did what I had to do, just like I would do at Walmart. I'm gonna do what I got to do, and to, to, to do what I need to take care of my family. You ever worked at Walmart before? Mm-mm. Oh, I'm just making sure. <laughs> No, <laughs> just, ain't nothing wrong. I'm just making sure. Uh, no, uh, uh, ain't nothing wrong. Wrong. Uh-uh. But Walmart, uh, McDonald's, or whatever. I can see that. I, mean, I, just, I, look at, I, I, I just look at them all the same. That's what I no, look at. but I can see what you're saying because mm. I mean, in both in both organizations, you could you can make your way up. You know, it'll yeah. still give you a better living because you're making money. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll grow. It'll grow you. So yeah, yeah I can see that. I can see but that. But the people, but the whoever's at the top making the money. That's always we, we making. That's what I'm saying. We making the money. We. We making the money for them, or we doing the work for the man at the top. Uh, so I want to, I want to get to the top one day. Let somebody work for me. <laughs> you Let Walmart work for me. <laughs> well, I, I, I wanted to ask because I mean, I know like when I, when I, when I, when they bring you up, they they talk about um, being like stern, firm, you know, mm-hmm. on beliefs. I believe what I believe. Right. Um, I had uh, Ben Hassan on. They say the same kind of thing about him as well. Like, mm-hmm. just kind of like, my, my idea is my idea. Right, yeah, but right. he's going to change my idea. This right. is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I think he might have said the same thing. He might have brought you up. I'm not sure. I might I might be misquoting. I want to misquote him. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to talk about that before I talk about you getting into the education system. Like, was that ever a thing? Did everybody, anybody ever complain, like, about your um, I, your, your ideas? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I, they... they the people who gave me my ideas, uh, and I was very fortunate to have people to help me to let that let me know what I need to do, and to let me know that that doctor degree that I have don't trump their ideas and their knowledge and their skills. I was I was I was fortunate enough to, to listen though. To these people when they came to me with ideas and came to me with recommendations and suggestions and say, this is what you need to do. And uh, most of the time, 99.9% of the time, it was my bosses. It wasn't the people over me or people in charge and the people who's supposed to know all of it. 
all that information I got to move forward with, with my with schools I was in came directly from the students. Mm-hmm. Even sometimes they didn't know they was giving me information gotcha. to help them, you see. But I was, I, I was just fortunate enough that I'm, and I'm glad if I, uh, I had one thing that, that have helped me in the school, so, and that's to be able to listen to the students that I was serving and listen to the parents that I'm serving. So I mean, that's probably I, I shouldn't ask him to ask anybody. So I, I get you saying that. Does that mean like if you what say you weren't a principal, say you were you you're just a teacher at a school, mm-hmm. right? Does that mean you don't listen to the principal, or you just kind of like no, uh, uh-uh. uh. Oh, okay, okay. I I give you an example. Even as a system principal, the the principals who taught when I was a being their assistant. Not all of them, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot from the principal that I say was doing it the wrong way. Oh, yeah, I got you. Definitely. definitely. You see, they taught me how not to do it. <laughs> You're a funny guy, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, I, I, like I always tell my sisters when I was growing up, I say, in my brothers, I say, if you see somebody uh, doing this and you see what's happening to them, if they taking them drugs every day and you see what's happening to them in and out of jail, uh, the police beating them up all the time, and you see them, this, this is why this is happening to this person. You going to do the same thing? You think it ain't going to happen to you? You see? So I learned from people who make the mistakes as much as I can. Because mm-hmm. some people learn, hopefully some learn from my mistakes. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying I ain't never made none, but I'm just fortunate. I think I'm fortunate enough to be able to listen, especially to young people. No, I definitely, I agree. I, I feel the same way. I feel like you learn through people's mistakes. So if I see you make a mistake or if I see looking at a distance or whether I'm uh, living, I guess, uh, vicariously through somebody else, right. like the mistakes they make, I know I don't want to make the mistakes. Exactly. So I might move a certain way. So I, I get what you're saying. Right. That. Uh, I guess, you, but you also were saying like, you know, you, you learn a lot from your peers and people who, not saying underneath you, but, on the same level as you and 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 down or whatever, um, the as far as like up uh, somebody upper level was a principal, whatever sergeant, marine, um, mm-hmm. the military. You ever learn something from them where it was like not that they were doing something wrong, they just taught you something. You talking about somebody that will appear a man uh, above above you? Oh yes. Okay. I'm not. I'm not saying I don't. I can't learn from people above me, cause I have. However, uh. I get taught the most from people, younger people, especially in the school system. Because if I'm here to serve you, I'm your principal. My job is to serve you, and that service requires me to help you get to the next level. How can I know what you need if you don't tell me? And I'm going to tell you how some of us do it. We get all the doctor degree and the master degree people to the big table in the education and this school over here failing. And we'll put a plan together. To say, this is how we're going to bring this school up. And the people, there's nobody at the table from the school. There's no child at that table from that particular school to tell you what they need. So we just put this plan together and say, we're going to give it to them. That's what they're going to do. And everything in that plan might be exactly the opposite of what they need. 
you see. And I'm not saying that's the case, but yeah. what I found is that let's talk to him. Well, ain't no sense bringing him to the table because he, he got his pants down low. He ain't but old thug. He, uh, he, he a gang member. That's who you need to talk to. You see? And I've, I learned from, 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 from that. And I, I just, uh, when I was at Glen Hills, matter of fact, we have a student council. All the middle schools and all high schools have student councils. So what I did, I created a uh, advisory team for my for me, mm -hmm. student advisory, the principal student advisory committee that I handpicked students to be on this committee, and this, I, I made sure I got students who made D's and F's. I got students who one out of uh, Barton Village and another one out of Meadowbrook who were so-called gang members. Mm -hmm. I put them on my committee. I got some who uh, was in special ed on my committee, you see. I got uh, some athletes on my committee, and I got uh, a couple of white children there. Not too many, but there was a few white children still there, and uh, some uh, some Asian children. I put them on some English second language learner trying to learn English. Well, they I put some of them on there. Special education students. I got a couple of those on there. So I got a sampling of the whole school to include some A B honor roll students. Mm -hmm. So it was a sampling of the whole school. So in this committee, you can't. We didn't talk about nothing other than what's gonna make this school better. We couldn't talk about anything else. And one of the students had me say, "But Dr. Frazier, can we talk about the teachers and tell you what they're doing?" I say, I don't have no problem with that. Can we call a name too? I say, yes. Because <laughs> I say, it's, it's, it's got, if anything be done about it, I've got to do it anyway. And one of the students asked me, he said, well, Frazier, not, doc, not Dr. Frazier, not Mr. Frazier. Well, Frazier, what about you? Can we talk about you too? I said, yeah, you can talk about me too. <laughs> the first thing they talked about was me. And they said, Dr. Frazier, I don't mean no harm, but we like listening to you on the intercom because I used to get on the intercom all the time. That's what I heard. Middle of the day, I get on there, and I might sing the Barnett song, or I might sing some Lil Boosie. But that was my favorite rapper, Lil Boosie. <laughs> you don't know my struggle. You can't feel my hustle, baby. What made you make you sing Lil Boosie on the intercom? Huh? <laughs> well, I'm just saying that. You know, I didn't like when I when I learned better. I think when you learn better, you do better. Well. Uh, before when rap first come out, I hated it. I hated it. I don't want to hear no rap, man. I don't want to hear nothing about no rap. I told my daughters when they were little, I said, you play rap at my house, if whatever you turn this radio on, if it got rap on, my radio going to self-explode because I don't want to hear no rap <laughs> up in there. But I was saying that because all my peers were saying it's bad. My daughter told me, she said, Daddy, I want you to just listen to this one song for me. She played a song by uh, Too Short, and the song was In the Ghetto. He redid the song that Donnie Hathaway did back in my day. But he put a rap thing to it. That was started me listening to rap. Hey, now, all of the cussing and all that stuff, I know how to. But the message, some of you got some messages in it. And see, Lil Boosie made that song, You Don't Know My Struggle, You Can't Feel My Hustle, really mean you don't know what I've been through. True. You can't tell me, you know, you ain't been in my shoes, man. So I, I began to appreciate rap. You see, but the, like I, but this young man was telling me, you on the intercom, you don't want, we want to hear you keep doing what you're doing, Dr. Frazier, because you 
make us have fun and we like you, you we like when you do things. But sometimes we be doing our work. <laughs> and when you get on that, you throw us off. And uh, you sell a joke, and we've been right in the middle of a, doing a math problem or whatever. You throw us off. By the time you, it's over with, you know, we're trying to get back on track. It takes us a long time. Yeah. So <clears throat> I could have said, well, that's just the way it is because I'm the boss. And I've seen a lot of principals and other people in high places so far that do that kind of stuff. I'm the boss. I, we ain't talking about them. You can talk about the teacher, but don't worry about me. I'm going to keep doing what I got to do. I listened to the young man. I put myself in his place in that classroom. And when I left that meeting, I uh, got on the intercom and I told the rest of this uh, teachers, my assistant principal and the secretaries, from this point on, no one would get on the intercom until it's morning announcements or afternoon announcements or an emergency. And the reason why we're going to stop doing it is because uh, Big Willie had a meeting with me today and told me, Dr. Fred, you won't, we don't need you doing that. <laughs> so I, what I did was not only did we get off of it, but I told them, Willie, who was on my committee and the, and the president, president of my committee, has instructed us not to do this anymore, and uh, we not doing it. So when y'all see Big Willie in the, in the hallway, let him, let him know y'all appreciate it. Now, Big Willie was out of uh, Meadowbrook, and he had a reputation of being a so-called thug or gang member. But what I'm saying is this. Maybe he was. My job is not to, my job is to, first of all, to get him out the game. My job is to help him work his way out the game. Not me, get him out. You can't tell nobody just get out the game, man. You see? Uh, or, or that kind of thing. My job is to help him to make the, the right decisions. If he start making the right decision, he'll work his way out mm -hmm. and, show, and show him something different. So the first thing I did is to show him how to use that leadership he has with the game to use it in that school. And that's what he started doing. And he started being looked at as a leader in the school now from his peers, you see. So in leadership, uh, you know, when principals and other people in leadership positions that don't know how to lead or don't know how uh, to manage or turn things around, uh, you're going to kill some children if you don't understand how to do that. You're going to kill whatever organization you with mm -hmm. if you don't know, if you're in a leadership position, don't know how to do that. and. But you have to be able to listen to the people that you lead. You got to let them lead you sometime. If you want to be in the front all the time, you can't be no leader. The man in the back deserves to be in the front if what we're doing at that time falls into his category and he know more about it than you. He need to be in the front. No matter uh, where he come from or what, if he got a, a bachelor's degree or if he got a GED, if he know about this subject, that's where he need to be. But the people, that man in the front need to understand that's the way it need to be. And some of us that's in leadership position with the doctor's degree, some of us are kind of slow. Uh, look at the irony in that. Let me ask you a question. Um, <clears throat> talk about when you first, because you said 95, 90, 90, 95 ish, 97 yeah, is when you I, got into the education. Field. Right. Mm -hmm. what, what, what brought you to Augusta? My uh, sergeant major friend of mine who was in Germany with me lived here and he talked about you know, this might be a good place to sell. And every time I see him now, I want to slap him. Whoa. What's wrong? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, but uh, 
Uh, but uh, I always look at it like this. Uh, no matter where we go in this country, it's going to be best the same. So you can put up, put up with it in Augusta and deal with it in Augusta, or you can put up with it in Chicago or New York or wherever. Uh, our condition is the same, basically, that when it comes to from one part of the United States to, mm-hmm. to the other. And so around about what year you came to Augusta? 95. 95. 95, I retired. In 96, I was working in the school system. Right. Well, so where you start out at? Spirit, Spirit Creek, as, Spirit a special Creek. Ed, as a special ed teacher. Oh, wow. And what? Okay, you started out as special ed. But you, and you, was a, you still had your doctors at the time? Mm-mm. Okay, so you just, just your bachelor's. Oh, that's right. I just retired. I got my, later on, got my doctor's degree from South Carolina State. Okay, okay. Mm. So you worked at Spirit Creek, um, and then from there, what did you do? Three years later, I was uh, promoted to assistant principal at Glen Hills. So that quick? That's, that, that's one thing that got me in trouble. I didn't know. I just thought I was uh, doing pretty good. But uh, I, when you're not from here and uh, you don't have, you're not uh, one of the yeah. brothers or the frat brother, this or this and that, akin to somebody, I didn't, you know, I didn't understand that whole stuff, you know, when I was. And this was Glen Hills Middle? This was at Glen Hills High. Okay, assistant that's principal. That's another thing. I went straight to the high school. From straight from Spirit Creek Middle school. school. That's right. My first job straight to be an assistant principal at a high school. All right. So talk talk about that. Well, how'd you get there? Like, so you so you was you you, you did special I'm education. Gonna, I'm gonna tell you how I got there. Uh, well, I won't call no names, but this lady <laughs> who was uh, she was in charge of the social work. She used to come to the school when they need a social worker to come talk and deal with the children. She would come and talk and she would stop by my room because she had some students in there that she had to do some social work for. And every now and then we'll talk a little bit about this and that. And then this, this particular principal, I mean, assistant principal who had been at uh, Glen Hills at the time, uh, for whatever reason, he retired in the middle of the year. After after Christmas holidays, he didn't come back. So they needed somebody now. Cause no, he 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 went on and retired over the holidays. So this lady that uh was coming to Spirit Creek, she talked to her husband about me and say, You ought to go talk to him. Cause I think that he might be a person that uh, do well at Glen Hills. And so I found out later the story was what she told her husband was some of my techniques I use to deal with the children that she saw. One of the things that she was impressed about is when they rang the bell rang and the children go to their different classes, uh, and they be all over the hall. When they come out of my room, they stay in a straight line and they, they don't talk to nobody. Mm. They go straight to their classes. And uh, they'll just peel off as they go to the hall and go into their classes. And uh, she said she was she was concerned about how those children did it. And in the middle of all them children acting a fool or doing whatever. Uh, and the way I told her was children do whatever they are expected to do. We just got to have that expectation. We got it's us that have to have the expectation for them to do it. And how you get them there is uh is is different techniques to get them there. But anyway, 
uh, <clears throat> she was impressed by that. And then she she said, well, Dr. Frazier, she said, well, hold on, Dr. Dean. She said, Mr. Frazier, she said, uh, I saw him doing it one day. You wasn't here. You was oh, you was out on uh, going to the, you was at the doctor's. You wasn't even here. They was doing. Mm. And I say, ma'am, uh, he's talking about leadership and doing things. You don't. If you got if people just perform, and while you there, you ain't in charge of nothing. You need to know what they do when you're not there. And then she wants to know how I did it. And one of the ways I did it was based on the, the level of people, especially children. Children, you can fool a little bit. You know, you, you, can, you, you can do some things to them. Uh, with them, you can't do it with older people. Mm-hmm. And then with older people, you can do some things to them too, according on what the situation is. So what I used to do, I used to tell myself, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be out today. Y'all know the rules. If you get in trouble while I'm here, you're going to get punished. But if I'm not here for substitute here and you do that, do some, you're going to get twice as much. And I had no, I used to make them do push-ups or stand in the corners, you know, that kind of thing, which is illegal today. Uh, but anyway, I did it. And uh, when I left one day, I came back early. And I asked the principal, could I go around the school and look through my window? Because I had a place where I can look through the window where the children couldn't see me, but I could see them in their classroom. Mm-hmm. And I saw them in the class with this substitute teaching. I saw their conduct. So the next day I came, when I came to school, I got to the classroom. I waited till after lunch. I said, now it's time for me to talk about your conduct yesterday and how y'all acted while I was gone. I want to know. I want you to. Now, if you tell me the truth, I won't give you the double punishment. I will just give you the regular punishment. If you tell the truth. Now, if you don't tell the truth, you're going to get a double baby today now. <laughs> so everybody start looking at everybody. Everybody start getting <laughs> nervous. <laughs> they were getting nervous. So, but I already saw who was acting up from the outside. So I say, uh, anybody, anybody want to talk? Nobody want to talk. But the children didn't know. They couldn't see me seeing them. And when I asked the question, almost all of them looked at the guy who was messing up. But they didn't know they <laughs> was doing that. See? see, I didn't say nothing. But I called on some, some of the other ones who was good. I said, what you do? Did you do anything? Come up to my desk. And they'll come up, want to come up. I say, now, what I want you to do, I'm trying to get this guy who messed up. I'm trying to give him an opportunity to tell on himself. I say, now, if you did anything wrong, I want you to sit, sit, sit at my desk and look me in the eye. I say, now, can you see your pupil? No, I can't see it. I said, but I can see it. I said, now, you know, when you lie, your pupil's going to dilate. And I'm going to see it if you lie. So I asked him, I said, what did you do? Or did you do anything? I said, and then he'll try to look where her, uh, look at me, man. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. I need to see. They get the eyes open. No, Dr. Frey, I didn't do nothing. No, Mr. Frey, I didn't do nothing. So I kept calling on two or three of them. I said, y'all, your people, y'all people didn't die unless y'all did good. So y'all didn't lie. After about three or four, I called on the guy who had acted, act a fool. Because <laughs> he was a bully in the class, he acting a fool. I called, come on over here, man. That's another thing. I don't, I don't, I, it's how you talk to them. That's another thing. You got to learn how to talk to children. Not that 
being mean to them, but there are some you got to be a little bit, you know. I said, come on over here, man. Stand up here. Now the whole class looking at him. <laughs> Open your eyes up, man. Don't look away. Open your eyes, baby. Open my eyes up. I say, did you do anything wrong? No, I didn't do nothing. You're lying. <laughs> You're lying, man. <laughs> and all the children say, yeah, he lying. Everybody jumped in. So what I'm saying is this. Uh, but that boy today, uh, I think he a truck driver. And if I'm not mistaken, he owned his trucks. But uh, when you love children, a lot of people say they love children, but uh, you don't want to see nothing bad happen to them. You don't want to see them get in trouble. So my job and our job is to make sure they don't. And however you get them to that point, whatever your skills are and your personality is to get work with people or children, you do the best way you can. Now, everybody can't do it the way Frazier do, do it. Because my life, every time I deal with children, I'm bringing my whole background, my life, mm -hmm. who I am to the table. You see, so you have to bring who you are to the table. I haven't seen a, one of my assistant principals try to roll up on a child one time the way I do. You know, and almost got his head busted. <laughs> you see. But I'm just saying, you can't do that. Yeah. Because I, I was my boy one day, I told him, I said, hey, man, pull them panties up. Because I told him in the school, if you wear your pants low, uh, only thing I want the boys to do, I said, if you wear your pants low, I don't mind, I don't care. It don't bother me to see you with your pants low. It don't bother Wayne Frazier. And y'all old enough, if you want to, to pull your pants up and put a belt on. You're old enough to do that. But if you want to do it, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to be running around here talking to no boy about pulling their pants up. That's on you. If you want to pull them up, good. If you don't, that's on you. Only thing I want you to do, if you, if you want to keep them down, you got to have some thongs on. <laughs> pink or purple. <laughs> you say, that's my favorite color, pink or purple. So, so I told the boy one day, man, you got some thongs on, baby? The stuff kind of low. And see, believe it or not, I didn't have to do too much else about the, about the pants hanging low. Not at Glen Hills. You see, because they they police themselves after that. Mm -hmm. You see, but you got to be able to communicate in a way that what our children understand. Now, if I go to Greenbrow or Evans High School or, or another school with a different culture of children, I have to adapt to that culture some kind of way. Right. And see, we got people in our schools. Uh, it's not that culture, and not trying to adapt to our culture. Don't understand the culture, and ain't trying to get with the culture. And it's hard to help children if you don't know anything about them, uh, their culture, and how they talk and what, it, what the words mean, you see, and, and, and what they mean when they say certain things. Describe your time at Glen Hills uh, High School for the assistant principal section that you had. At the assistant principal? Yeah, like, so when, when after Spirit Creek, them three years you okay, did that, so uh, what was that like? At Glen Hills... Uh, and real quick, cause you you didn't finish it, but like, so what what when you got the job, was you, were you kind of like just thrown in there, or what did it is pick the candidate? Like, cause you were saying that when, you you know you felt like it was a story of why you got that position. Well, like I say, the lady talked to her husband when mm -hmm. she saw how I dealt with them children and what how the children responded to me, and how uh, I dealt with the discipline part 
of, with the children, even though I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And Glen Hills High School at the time had a lot of discipline problems, but a different age group. These are high school, but they discipline a little bit different than these middle schools. Mm-hmm. You see, this was a middle school. But she just told her husband, who was a principal there at the time, that since all this discipline, and the word was this reason why the assistant principal left is because the discipline at the time was out of control. Okay. So uh, that ran him away. That's what I was told. Anyway, uh, he did interview me and uh, talk with me, and uh, I was selected to go to be the assistant principal in the middle of the year. Uh, when that when January came, I was the new, new assistant principal, and uh, when I got there, it was kind of rough. Uh, but it was it allowed me to to build relationships with individual children. I got to know. I, I did in a short amount of time to find out who was the, you know, who was the leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean no harm when I say this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it in this way. Because sometimes we look at the children and we allow them to become the climate of the school and the culture of the school when they are just children. We turn our power over to them and then complain when it's not the way it should be. For instance, what I saw, I saw uh, some adults in the building that wasn't on point. That's the, that's 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 the worst thing I saw. I mean, I, I saw them children. I saw children doing what children do if they're allowed to. Mm. That's what I saw. So like, if I come in your house and your child cussing you out and doing whatever you, that ain't the children's fault. If you allow that to happen. And I gave them an example. The, the example I gave is to the teachers. I said, now, I want you to, I want you, I had a meeting with them. I said, what I want you to do, I want you to picture the worst child in your class and the worst, the worst child in this school. Just picture them and don't call no name. Just picture that child in your mind. I want you to think about this now. Think about that child and think about taking that same child down to, down to First Baptist on Walton Way down that big old church. Mm-hmm. Think about taking him down there in the middle of the service and walk him up the aisle and put him in one of the mill pews, set him there, and then walk in the back of the church while the preacher talking, the service going on, and watch and see how he act. You think he going to get up and start acting a fool in there? Probably not. Because, because the climate is already set by the adults in the building. The adults set the, the, the tone for the school, for the church, for your house. The adults set the tone. They set the whole climate. And then if it's off balance, how you going to blame the children? And there's a way to do it. You just can't come up and say, well, we can't do nothing with them because they too bad and the parents don't care. But why are you in this business then if you can't do nothing with them? Come on, sell some shoes, man. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. But we got, we got too many excuses. <clears throat> And I'm not saying the children are not challenging now, but why you want to get in this business if it's too much for you? And that's the thing that bothers me sometimes. I hear adults saying oh, we can't do it because the parents are no good or the, the children too bad, but yet and still you keep going back there collecting the money or either doing whatever you want to do 
uh, and the children are failing, and then you blame them for the uh, for their failure or their parents. You say, you you coming from like you having that uh, educational background and and uh, the leadership educational as well. I, I see that a lot. I see a lot of. Uh, and I talk to teachers and I'm a parent, so of course you see both sides of it. But I do see a lot of teachers uh, kind of like complaining that uh, it's just it's just the kids is just too much now. Well, and I and I, I can understand. I understand what they're talking about. I truly understand exactly what they are talking about. But sometimes they speak out of frustration. Uh of the overall job that they have. Teachers, to me, teachers are the lowest, the highest. Uh, they do the most work and, the, and get the least pay of any professional for the job that they have to do. They, they, they get the least amount of money for doing the job. The teachers are, uh, and today, they not only expected just to do their job as it relates to teaching math and science and all those, they got the bus duty. They got cafeteria duty. They got all, all the other duties. And then they got to do all this paper to explain everything that they're doing and why they're doing it and who they're doing it. And we don't pay them. And that's, that's, that's globally throughout the whole United States. We don't respect teachers like we respect the police or like we respect uh, uh, the guards at the, at the prisons or whatever, you know, they, you, if you're a guard at the prison, when you do your guard duty at the prison, do that, you off. You ain't got to worry about coming back to no PTA meeting and no ball game that you ain't going to get paid for, no PTA <laughs> meeting you ain't going to get paid for, and uh, uh, going to meetings that you ain't going to get paid for, and doing bus duty and cafeteria duty. You ain't going to get paid for that, but you're going to do it, mm. you see. So to me, that's the, that's the, that's, that's the top thing that's wrong with education. That's, out of all the things that I, I can say is you paying, you got teachers to take care of the most precious commodity, for lack of a better term, in, our, in this country, and they get the least paid. You got a football player, and I'm not, you know, I ain't no athlete or nothing like that, but I ain't jealous of nobody making no money. But when you got somebody can go out there and run up and down the field and get sweaty and beat up each other upside the head and get a hundred million dollars. Uh, it's sickening. And I'm not saying you got to pay the teachers like that, but the teachers, if it wasn't for a teacher, he wouldn't be out there. They wouldn't be out there playing, but it wasn't for some teacher somewhere. So what I'm saying is that's the, that's the, that's the thing I see that's wrong with education period. That's now when it comes to, having the right kind of teacher. And it's hard to make a decision when you, you know, that's your feeling. You, some of them may love it, but if you can't handle it no more, or if it's too much for you, you'll you, you wind up hurting too many people staying in it. You, you wind up hurting people because you got to keep your job and you got to put food on the table. You have a family also, but if you can't handle it, uh, you know, let somebody know. Right. <clears throat> I got to, I do want to ask this question. Um, I had a question, but somebody worded it a little better than me, so I want to ask it because I said it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, when people call you unorthodox or Joe Clark, what's your response to that? Well, first of all, if you call me Joe Clark, based on what Joe Clark did, uh, I wish I could be as good as Joe Clark. To me, that's a compliment. 
I think when they say that, it's in a compliment. Yeah. I don't think they dissing I feel you. good about it. Uh-huh. For somebody to think of me that way. And when you say unorthodox, uh, matter of fact, I got in trouble with my superintendent uh, calling me unorthodox in front of some parents. He was he didn't know I heard, overheard him in his, in his office. I was passed by his office, he, and he was saying some the, uh, somebody had complained about me, and he had this parent and some dignitaries in his office saying that well you know Doctor Frey he kind of unorthodox, and I heard him because his office door was cracked, so I I went back and opened the door. <laughs> And say, excuse me, sir, I'm not unorthodox. I say I'm a Baptist. And I close the door back. <laughs> but unorthodox. But you know, uh, I put it this way. The reason why they call me not, uh, I think he did and some other people call me unorthodox is because uh, I want to get to a different result by not doing the same thing. If you do the same thing and expect different results, you a fool or, or insane. Insanity. Yeah. You, yeah. You kept doing the same thing, but you go with different. Example. One of the principles I learned from was complaining about parents don't come to PTA meetings. We got 1,500 students, and you got less than 20 parents at a PTA meeting or open house. Less than 20 out of 1,500. So I gave him my ideas as his assistant. I said, why don't we do it this way? And why can't we do it this way? Can we add this to it or take this away from it? He said, no, we can't do that. So I asked him why. He said, because I'm the principal and you're the assistant. Mm. That's the answer. That's the exact answer he gave me. So I said, well, one day I'll be a principal. And so when I became a principal, I put, I put some things in place that that I could put in place, and it, and it changed. When you, when when you, so I I, 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 I that's, a, that's a good point. So all right, you did the assistant principal at Glen Hills High, right? Yeah. How long? How, how many years you were there for? As assistant, as assistant principal? principal, I did about three three or four years, and then after that, I was as from assistant principal, I became the principal of the alternative school. Okay. About three or four years there, and then went from there to the principal of Tutman. At the time, this little boy was 12 years old or so and had killed this man in, in Harrisburg. I think he was about 14 years old, and he killed this man in Harrisburg, uh, shot him. And that's the year I went over there in the middle of the year also because the, the, uh, the uh, principal, uh, I don't think, I think they transferred him or something. But anyway, I went over there in the middle of the year at Tuckman. And at the end of the year, Tuckman had never made AYP or state standards. But at the end of that year, we made AYP state standards for the first time in 10 years. It was the only school that had never made it. Mm. And there was a lot of questions about when I got over there, it's statistically impossible to turn a school around in that short a period of time. So I would basically investigate it because I must have did something to cheat on the test or something. Oh, wow. You see. So I was thoroughly investigated. And nobody, to include my own bosses here, didn't want to believe that. Mm. 
But as of today, no one asked me how you did it. Not one person have asked me, said, well, Dr. Frey, how did you do it? Because it, it was something that I think we did can be uh, replicated in some of the other schools. If I was the boss, I would say, how you did that? I don't care whether I like you or not. I want to know how you did it. Uh, we might be able to take some of this to the mother school. You think you was investigated because people didn't like you? I know I was. <laughs> because of the way I talk. Uh, you know, I'm, with the way I'm talking to you right now, uh, Obama coming here, uh, Tricky Dick or whoever, you know, I'm going to respect them. But a, a man ain't going to change who he is for another man. And I don't, I don't do it. And, and unfortunately, people don't like that. Yeah. Especially when they think you better than, uh, they, they think they are better than you in whatever way. I'm your boss and you, you got to tone it. I'm going to talk to you with respect. We're going to do, hopefully we do respect each other. From Tubman, you went to, did you go back to Glen Hill? Because you was the principal at Glen Hill at one point, right? Yeah, from Tubman, I went back to the alternative school. Okay. At, so after turning school, you went back to alternative school. Was that like a, a punishment? Too much. That's right. I didn't know it at the time. You know, I'm just trying to do a job, but I, that's what it was. I found out later uh, there was some things going on that I really didn't know about. That, that, that the reason about being moved and all that. I found out later. These this is the reason why. Really, the, the reason why. But mm. I didn't. But uh, I didn't focus on it too much because it's hard to focus on that kind of stuff and do a job. Right. Right. So then from alternative school, then you went back to Glen Hills. As the, and the reason why I got to Glen Hills, it wasn't because they done fell in love with me and we're going to promote you to a principal back at Glen Hills now. I got there, be, be honest and tell the truth, is because another principal turned it down mm. because it, it was in a situation where it was before as it relates to fighting and, and all that kind of stuff. And this man had already done 30 years, basically, at, at another school, and he said, "I'm a, I'm retiring." Now you say, "I'm not going there." So that's when they say, "Okay, Frazier, in the middle of the year again." That's what I read. I read uh -huh. that, I read that it was the middle of the year. Uh -huh. We'll let you go. We'll let you go over there. So I do got a question about that, and um, shout out to Kim Macon. I try to uh, uh, give credit where it's due because he kind of linked us together too, Kim uh -huh. Macon. Yeah. But he asked. He said, uh, "Tell us about your time at Glen Hills." And how you were able to significantly raise the graduation rate. Because that was the year you was there, right? Right. As a principal. That's right. Middle that of the year. That was my last year. And uh, the graduation rate, we was at the bottom. There were three schools at the bottom of the bottom. of was Joseph Atlantic, Glen Hills. And Obama was the president. Obama uh, got some money, well, sent some money to all the failing schools. The one was at the extreme bottom. Glen Hills, Joseph in the state of Georgia, Glen Hills, Joseph and uh, Laney was the three schools that got the money. When we received the money, some of us had the opportunity to turn the schools around. They'll let you, they'll give you the autonomy, uh, a degree of autonomy about how you're going to spend that money whether you get some consultants in there to help you or whatever you think the best thing to do, or they'll allow you to take your whole staff out and get you a new staff, basically, mm. you see. For me, unfortunately, my superintendent at the time didn't allow me that autonomy. He picked, for me, 
if if he had, if he had allowed me to tie them, I probably would have got rid of some of my staff. That was the thing that I thought was bringing us to the bottom, not the mm-hmm. children. Some of the staff they didn't belong. Everybody don't belongs in every school. Right, right. Some people need to be at an elementary school. Some people need to be at a different kind of school. Some people need to be out the school. So we had too many people that didn't belong at this particular school. Anyway, I would have changed my staff a little bit. Anyway, I wouldn't have given that opportunity. They said, you can keep your staff, and we still going to expect you to get to the next level, but we're going to give you this money, 2 or $3 million or whatever it was. But then they took the money and said, we're going to pay that money to a consulting firm to come in there and help you. And this is where people kind of like fall off the wagon with me. How you going to get uh, three old white women out of Idaho, got a consulting firm out of Idaho, to come into school with a lot of black boys who'd saying, you know, just doing what boys do, doing yeah, what yeah, black boys yeah, do. Yeah. And they scared of them, but they're going to tell me how to bring the school up when they're scared of the students. You can't help no one, children or anyone, if you don't like them, if you're afraid of them, or if you think you're better than they are. And these women had all them diseases. So we had to work around my consultants, the people, the experts. And they took us to uh, Atlanta to have a, have a uh, conference with all of the failing schools during the middle of that year, whatever, and said, well, Frazier, and asked all of us what we, was, what we were doing and how we were doing with the money and how we were spending the money. Does anything change? And so when it was my turn to talk, I said, how would you do it? I said, well, first of all, if I had my choice, I'd have got rid of some of my staff. I didn't have that opportunity. And I would have taken all the money and give it back. Just let me do with the staff and let me get the staff that I can work with and with that care about children. I can, I can go from there. But I would give you that money back because when you gave me that money, that's when I really started catching hell from uh, <laughs> people who want a job and people who uh, want to have their cousin because mm-hmm. they know you got money. Well, well you know, my cousin needs a job and uh, the people downtown want to have their boyfriends and girlfriends. Man, you got a wife. What you want to have your girlfriend for? <laughs> Chill out, bro. <laughs> but I'm just saying, uh, these are the kind of things that when money come into play, the children need to. The, the children need to benefit from the money that 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 is there for. And I'm not saying everybody. I'm just saying these are the kind of things that happens. No, I got you. When politics and money is involved, politics, yeah, yeah. You see, and then we want to make it look like when the children fail, we want to make it look like all oh, this is their fault. It's not. The, it's not. I'm not saying children don't do things, but it's not all their fault. You see, and if I put a child out or do anything that uh, need to punish a child or whatever, I'm going to make sure it's not me first. Mm-hmm. You see, then uh, we're going to find who the, who, who the real problem. Like I always used to tell teachers, if you have a child in your class and the child make an F and fail, I always ask the question, who you blame? With the child fault. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. As a child, I say, now, I'm just going to tell you how I do it. If I'm responsible, just like now as a school board member, when the system is failing like we are as a system, our system has an elf 
academically, we on the bottom in the state. I could say, well, these children just ain't doing, they ain't like they used to be. Or these parents ain't doing their job. I mean, that's the easy way out because you can find evidence of that. You can find evidence that the children are doing some strange things and doing things different than I did when in the 1950s when I was born. Yeah, they different. They doing different things. The whole world is different. Right. You know, they got they got a, they got phones now. Everybody, a child got a phone. When I grew up, we had a, we didn't even have a phone. We used to go next door and use a a a, a, a not a, what you call it one of them lines that have two or three people on it. Anyway, everything done changed. So I can't blame the children. The society changed. Children haven't changed. Society, the world around them have changed. They were born into a world where they can turn the television on and see sexually explicit movies in the middle of the day. They can turn the radio on and hear all kind of rap and all the cuss words you want to hear and learn the cuss words, but it's their fault. We did that. We signed some papers to make money off the rap song that cuss. You can't make no rap song about killing dogs in this country. You make a rap, a rap song about killing dogs. You can make a rap song about killing each other <laughs> and having sex with your mama and your, and your siblings or whatever. But you better not have no uh, rap song about killing no animals or killing the whales or whatever. But we care about children. So... The bottom line is this. I do uh, have, you know, I had a name of being unorthodox, and, uh, but at the same time, I, I try to be, live what I want to see in other people. I put it that way. But uh, as far as the graduation rate, I know you said yeah, you, had, you had the budget and stuff, but oh, yeah. like, what did y'all do to improve that? Okay. <clears throat> One of the things we did to prove the graduation rate is one of the things we did was that committee I just talked about. We had that committee to help us with the, with the students. The other thing we did, uh, one of the things we did, like I, when I was at uh, Tupman, we all the children who were suspended when I got when I got into the school, mm -hmm. I went and got those children. Found out some of them had been back to school in a year or two. On the street. That long. That's right. And not because they couldn't go back to school, but when somebody tell a grandmama or uh, whoever in the house, uh, uh, don't let them come back to my school, and they don't investigate, and some of these people are, believe it or not, or illiterate, they don't understand that a principal can't make that decision or, or, or nobody in the school make that decision. Some of these children... Some of them stayed out just because they were living with their grandmom and told the grandmom they were going to school and they really mm -hmm. wasn't or doing nothing when they got there. So anyway, I looked at every all the records of who was there and who wasn't and the ones who were still living in that area because uh, we'd go knock on the doors. That was another unorthodox thing they say I did because uh, I'm coming to your neighborhood and I'm coming to see if you if I'm a principal in Glen Hills and I'm scared to go in Barton Village in Meadowbrook, you don't need to be the principal over there if you're scared to go in the neighborhood where the children live. I'm coming to see you, baby. <laughs> uh, and uh, <clears throat> we brought those students back. So if they asked me, I would say we brought the students back that was on the street. When we took those final tests, those standardized tests, I would say the children who missed the most days or the children who they say was the, the worst overall, those students' test score was higher. 
than the ones who've been there every day. Mm. So we let our brains be out there on the street. And some of us don't want them back in the school because the way they talk to us. I done got called all kind of names. I ain't going to let you stay on the street just because uh, I'm, I'm taking it personal. You see, and some of us, when children say things, some of us take it personal like they're grown people. They're not grown people. Some of them look grown, but they're not grown. These are children in grown people bodies. I think the reason why they look so uh, mature and all that chemicals they put in these chickens. <laughs> That's what I believe in it. But I, I still, they still chill. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said, so <clears throat> that year, was that, that was your last year? Yeah, that was my last year once we got, so I got called after we made the score and, and we found out we, we, we had the highest graduation rate in the state of Georgia of all those failing schools. Mm. We were number one in the state of Georgia. So the superintendent called me. They said, come on down to my office. So when I got in the office, first of all, I always believed in looking presentable. I always believed, especially if you're the principal, ain't no such thing. You're wearing what I'm wearing now. You can wear a coat and tie, and every man in my school had to put a coat and tie on. I don't, one guy told me, well, I'm no, I work in the gym. I don't need no coat and tie. You, when you come to school, have a coat and tie on. When you get down to that gym, you can put the jogging suit on. But when you walk through that door, you got to have a coat and tie on. I got in trouble for that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. I had, I had teachers. Structure. Hmm? Yeah, structure. Yeah, but kind of structure. I had the structure have to be with the adults first. How are we going to have the boys to pull their pants up when you walk in here with some gym clothes on or uh, uh, with some rusted old uh, gym clothes that got holes in them and you telling this boy over here to pull his pants up? That don't even look right. Mm-hmm. You see? Or either one of the teachers walking around there with a handkerchief on and telling these girls to pull they, put their clothes on right. So, uh, we, had to, we, did, we dealt with the top first. That's another thing we did. We kind of cleaned up some of that stuff with the adults. But anyway, when the superintendent called me, come on down to my office. And I, went and, I went to the flea market. I went straight to the flea market when he called me. My wife said, where are you going to the flea market for? I said, you know we got the highest graduation rate. The principal <laughs> want me in his office. He want me in his office. So I went straight to the flea market and got me a new suit, some new shoes, and a new tie and shirt from the flea market. I was clean. When I walked in that office, it was him and some old people around the big table. I'm thinking I'm finna, I'm finna get a raise and everything now. He said, Dr. Frazier, you did a pretty good job over there, Glenn. He'll say, however, I'm not going to keep you long. Uh, however, uh, we're going in a different direction next year. You will be a teacher at Glen Hills Mill. <laughs> Any questions? Mm. I say, well, uh, no, he didn't tell me the school. He just said, you would be a teacher. Then he asked me, what, do you have any questions? I said, well, what school? Yeah, he told me, Glenn Hills Mill. I said, yes, sir. Have a good day. So I went on back home, put my suit up, put it in the closet, still sitting there. He never put it back on. Mm. Uh, but the bottom line, and see. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of sad. I know you're trying to skip well, over that, but that's, that's, that's well, kind of a sad way. story. Yeah, but let me say this. I don't seen it happen. Over and over and over and over again. That's why I think I was able to deal with it the way I did. Because it don't, this stuff don't just happen to me. And out of my community, when you are a man that have some standards yourself, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to make it with 
with with uh, with other people. Uh, I ain't gonna. I just say with, with less standards. I just say it like that. But uh, you not gonna, and that's why a lot of men uh, don't fight back. They go along to get along. It's easier. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to just go along with the program and do what we tell you to do, even if it's killing your own children. It, it's, to some of us, it's easier to do that. Just let like, them go and fail. Ain't nobody going to fire you. Ain't nobody going to, uh, you don't get no trouble for letting these children fail. You're not going to get in any trouble. It's, but when you start putting things into place, uh, that's going to be a little challenging for those who I want them to fail. Uh, you're going to get a target on your back. So I went on and retired after that and uh, ran for the school board. So I want to talk about that. Um, first of all, I'm just sorry that happened. Just, I know you, you said it's okay, but it, it just seems sad. It's, like Wait, a, I'm just, it's like a triumphant story where like you, 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 you did something they didn't expect you to do. Did it in a high fashion and, and became number one. And then it's just like, well, even though you did that, I still want you to, you know, do this and give you mm. some bottom of the barrel type stuff. So, yeah, but uh, I, I just say this: the way I look at it, it's too many of our children out there uh, that need our help for me to give up. You know, it can't, I can't control what other people do. Only thing I have to do is just I have to prepare myself uh, for when things don't go the way they should. Because mm-hmm. see, sometimes when you think uh, you in this game, or because and everybody like Wayne Frazier, and then they do something different to show you, and you don't and you don't know that they they don't care about you anyway. You don't already know that. Then you you would get sick. Oh, I thought he I thought they liked me. Them the people who get sick. I thought I thought they. They like me because I was doing when and then they and then they flip on you like that. Man, I don't see people have nervous breakdowns because they got tricked. Tricks are for kids, baby. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I would I would be remiss. I know you said you ran for the board, right? Yes. So uh describe that and and what is that? What especially on a hierarchy level, like what do what is that running for the board? Well, Unfortunately, or fortunately, I I I say this. Uh, I, you want to know? Do you want to know what it what it's like, or do you want to know how did I get into it? What you what's, what's the question now? So, could you do that now? It's currently right now. You're on the board. You're a board member, right? Right. Uh huh. For District Four. District Four. Uh huh. Okay. What 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 exactly is? Being like I know, like, like like say a commissioner, I would ask a commissioner, what is a commissioner? Mm-hmm. So what is that position you okay. hold? Okay, what my job is uh, on the board is to be uh, to have the fiduciary responsibility of when it comes to the money to make sure every dime of the money is spent towards getting the children a better education. Okay, whether that being hired the teachers building buildings or whatever. <clears throat> and I made a statement that I guess some people got a little, had some issues with the statement I made. I didn't, I did not vote for the uh, budget last year. Basically uh, I seen a billion dollars, basically a half a billion dollars come through the system. But for the last 15 or 20 years, we didn't had a D 
R and F race rated uh uh as as uh in the state of Georgia anyway, our rating is a D or an F school system for the last 15 or 20 years or so. But we got money. You know, half a billion a year, basically. In my mind, if I'm the if I hold the fiduciary responsibility as a board member to bring the school system up to a level where all the children in all of the schools are successful, I can't rightly say I'm doing my job if the very thing I'm on here for is to bring the academic standards up. And for 15 or 20 years, they, I'm getting the money, but the standards still down. Mm-hmm. So how can I say I'm doing a good job? That's my responsibility, you see. And then when I said what I just said to you, believe it or not, some of my peers take issue with it. It's like I'm saying something bad about them. I'm not, I'm just talking about how I feel. I don't feel, I feel like I'm getting paid because I get I do get a stipend on the board. But I feel like sometimes I get, I'm getting paid and not giving no results. How long you been on the board? This is my eighth year. Okay, okay, eight years. That's this is my second term. <laughs> did, did with with what? How people may view you or feel about you, and what you know, what you don't know. When you run, do you do you, do you feel like you'll win, or is you be up in the air for you? I'm always feeling like I'm gonna win. I'm going in there with the winning attitude, babe. I'm going in there with the winning attitude. But I always, I don't know if you saw any of the last election I was in, but the lady that was running. Uh, Running with me, some people say running against. I ain't that woman running with me. She was running for that seat. She wasn't running against Wayne Frazier, uh, but she was running. But that's the way I look at it now. She was running to have an opportunity to serve in that seat that Wayne Frazier sitting in. That's not Wayne Frazier's seat. Some, sometimes we get in the, uh, on the board and these elected officials, and we we act like that's our seat. Yeah. And sometimes we taxpayers. We allow them to think that way because we keep them now forever. That ain't your seat. That seat belongs to the taxpayer. So when this lady was running, her and I met, <clears throat> uh, I think we was out there campaigning one day <clears throat> when I met her. And <laughs> I walked over to her and wished her good luck. I say, but if you win, ma'am, I want you to know we're in the same district. And if you win, you're going to be my representative. My job is to help you, when you get in that seat, is to help you help these children. I'm not going to stop helping children just because I'm not in that seat. And if you're my representative, my job as a citizen is to give you all the knowledge I got about helping the children. Mm -hmm. So I just would like for you to uh, know that. Because if you go get down there, I'm coming to see you. And I want to talk to you about some strategies that I think uh, can help you help the children. And we met and we, we took a picture that day together. And I, and sometimes I think we take this politics too personal, you see. And that, and that divides us even more from helping each other with our children and with our community. Uh, he ran against me. I don't like it. That, them people, I, don't look, I don't look at it that way, you see. And, and uh, uh, you know, you can, be, you can be effective to a degree without sitting in that seat mm-hmm. if you really want to help children. You don't have to be in no special seat. So 
but I do when I when if I run, I'm running to win. And uh, but I, I'm gonna run respectful. I respect people now because I want the same kind of respect. But I haven't seen too many of us get a seat, and then after we lose, we go back home. You're here for us no more until it's <laughs> yeah. time to run again. And then the ones in the seat, you don't see them until it's time to run again. I got another question from uh, Kenny. He said, what do you want people to know about the school board? Because it seems like y'all fighting all the time. Oh, Lord have mercy. Man, I wish you had asked that question. You say it seems like it, we fighting all the time. That's what it seems like. I put it this way. I'm going to say it this way. Uh... I try my best not to fight, but at the same time, I don't like you. You are not gonna dictate to me what ideas to have. It's it's like if I want you to have an idea, I give you one. It's some of that kind of attitude going mm-hmm. on. Plus, you need to realize that Wayne Frazier on the board right now, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I'm the only one that have an educational background coming out to school. And I had issues with some of the people, because these people I'm serving the board with, mm-hmm. some of them was on the board when I was a principal. And that was, uh, my, my attitude didn't change, you know, with them. Yeah, yeah. But I, the way I look at it is this. If we didn't get along then... If we didn't get along then, when you was my boss as a board member and I'm a principal, my job now is if there was some friction there, my job, and now I'm on the board, I'm one of your peers now. And if we had any issues, let's put that to the side and stop fighting and let's work together to help the children. And if you really want to keep fighting, let's do that after we get together to help these children. Let's stop the bleeding with the children first. And then, okay. And that was some, I, that was some other people, though, in their communities. Everybody in the community don't have to like each other. But some of us take it so personal, we take it everywhere with us. So uh, there are some disagreements and some issues when it comes to adults getting along and being professional. And I'm not trying to uh, say I'm the perfect one on the board, but I do understand what happens. That is happening. Right, uh, right. We, uh, uh, and, and, and the children are suffering from it uh, because of it, you see. Well, I mean, you answered the question well. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of stuff, I don't know for, for y'all but for, for, per se, but a lot of the committees and, you know, politicians, we get to see them interact. Um, we watch it every week. We can watch it. Um, you kind of can know, you, you kind of can, can view them at functions sometimes right. and see who get along with who, don't get along with who. And then all That's the right. sidebar conversations and right. the background. So people might, you know, off this camera, off this stuff, I might see somebody at the gas station. They might, they, they could possibly bring you up. Yeah, because, you know, this person, da, da, da. Uh, There's a lot of that that go on. Small mm-hmm. city, so all the stuff get out there. So it's not like, you know, it's not like people don't be don't be knowing. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it, it, I know you got to, I want to get this out of there too. Um, you got a, a function next week. I know what you're trying to promote. That's right. We're going to have a, uh, like a town hall meeting, basically. It's like a, a forum. Yeah. Well, it's not really a forum. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like an information session. We're going to bring information to uh, to parents and citizens of uh, uh, we have all the stakeholders, basically, for Richmond County School System. 
It's, it's titled uh, Who's Really in Charge? Who's uh, really in charge? Okay. That's right. Who's really in charge of Richmond County School System? And it says you are. You. And when I say you, I'm talking about the taxpayers. Gotcha. But they have, the taxpayers have allowed us, board members and superintendent and his staff to be in charge. They work for us. The school, the school board and his staff and the, and the board members work for the taxpayers. You see, and the way you hire us, the way you hired us is you voted for us. Right. And we're supposed to, when we go downtown, I, anytime any issue come up, what I try to do, me anyway, okay, just say it's an issue of uh, building a new school in, in a neighborhood, especially in my district or wherever. What I try to do is think about the people and how they're going to be affected by that new school. And look at the people to find out do we actually need it or is it something that we don't need or can we do something else with that money or whatever. But don't think about, I'm not trying to think about what's best for Wayne Frazier or what mm -hmm. I like, right. uh, you know, for whatever other reason. So when I say that people hired us to bring their issues to the table, uh, I think sometimes they get a little fuzzy. Uh, what, what, like, what do you want people to take from this? Like, when when they come, what do you expect them to get from this? Um, well, what I want them to do is, first of all, understand that the board and the school system work for them. That's theirs. That's not ours. And, and unless they get engaged, unless the community get engaged, nothing is going to change as it relates to standards moving up and our children graduating at 100%. That's not going to happen unless the community find a way to, to become engaged and don't leave that in the hands of board members. Don't leave that in the hands of the superintendent. They work for us. And when I say us, I'm talking about taxpayers and, it, uh, it, it, I work for you, the people who put me in that office. Right. So don't leave. We got to find ways where we're going to have to communicate in the, in the uh, community where we can not. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say work together with the board. Right. Because right now, it's almost as if the board is over on this side, the community is over here on this side, and the children is over on another side. We got to all work together to see success, and all of it has to be directly for the children, especially the children who are failing the most, the ones who need the most help. So I'm looking at the flyer um, that you sent in. Uh, so the, the people on there, like what, what, what went into getting these people to be a part of it? I want to uh, read different names you got. Well, this, this meeting really uh, has been about at least about a year or so in the making. A whole year? Yes. It's not an overnight thing. This, this, this lady that's uh, this a lady going to be there, one of our state representatives. Uh, she's going to talk about. Yes. Lynn Gladney? Yes. I, I, she's going to talk about basically how uh, charter school money and voucher money is being spent and who should participate in it. Because right now uh, there's, a, uh, I guess, a stigma out there that says that we don't want to take no charter school money or no voucher money because that's taking money from the public school system. And it's not true. Well, I'm just saying now. But I'm, I'm, I'm asking. Is it well, true? I'm not going to. Any money that's uh, using education, a lot of that money 
whether it be charter, voucher, a lot of it do come from the public school funding. So, yes, it comes out. However, it didn't say, it didn't say we're going to take that money and the poor children can't use it. It's for everybody. But we just got to find a way to say if the public school is not functioning properly for all children, which it doesn't, private schools don't function well for all children. Charter schools don't function well for all children. But if you're poor, the only choice we have is the public system. Mm-hmm. If McDonald's was the only game in town that sell burgers, we didn't have a choice. You got to go to McDonald's. That means you got to go by their rules. And there's no other rules in town. We got to pay whatever price they want. If the burger costs twenty five dollars, that what you. If you want that burger, you got to pay twenty five dollars. So poor children don't have a choice basically, other than the public school system. So what we got to do is start offering them more choices. But it's going to be up to the community to do that. You know, the public school ain't going to jump up and say. Let's get these poor children another choice. Right. It's too much money in public schools. Uh, matter of fact, public schools in a lot of places have more to do with business than education. Expounding that a little bit. Well, look at the, uh, we got some beautiful schools and but my thing is this, what's the use to have a big, brand new, pretty school with all the technology inside the school when you go in the building, the building say, good morning, Dr. Frazier, your coffee is ready, and close the door behind you, it automatically closes by itself, and your coffee, all the technology, lights come on soon as you walk in, and when you leave out, the lights automatically go off, it locks itself up or whatever, all that technology we have. What's the use to have all that technology? Everybody got a computer, whatever. Well, you have all that if the children walking out less educated uh, than they should be. What the building mean? So what I'm saying is this. Uh, we got the producers of public education and we have the consumers. The producers of public education has no interest in public education other than economics. They, 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 they build the buildings, they sell you the food, they sell you the desks, they sell you the books. But those people that's in charge of those organizations, they don't have no children in public education. Mm. <laughs> they children in private schools or whatever. Right. You see, and matter of fact, most of them don't want their children close to no public school, especially today. Now, a few years ago, maybe it was like that. But today, uh, very seldom to have those producers of education having their children in public education. The consumers of public education basically are poor people or, or children who or children who is in a special program, just like the magnet school. The magnet school, uh, but everybody can't get in the magnet school. It's a public school, but everybody can't get in it. You pick and choose. We pick who we want to go to the magnet school. It's not a test they don't make. Like, not That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. You got to, you got to, you got, and you got to keep your raise up. Yeah. Everybody can't get in there. I mean, that's a good thing, I guess, right? It's good, but every child deserves an education, and they should be able to go to any school and get the basic education. See, I, I agree, but I, I, that'd be one of them things where, like, then, then they wouldn't be a magnet school. It'd just be a school. Well, 
I don't have no, I don't have no real love for no magnet school. My thing is this. Uh, every school should be a magnet school. Every school, but you're going to find more interest, public interest in the magnet school than the, uh, the regular school. <clears throat> well, I agree. I, I guess I get what you're saying on that. I, I personally, like just a personal, my personal opinion, mm-hmm. I'm not crazy about like magnet schools or special schools like, ever. I just feel like, uh, and it's just because of my personal experience, right? Mm-hmm. So I've had siblings or, or family that went to uh, magnet schools or, or you know, uh, special schools, whatever, right. that you got to take a test to get. I didn't feel like they was any smarter than me. Oh, no, they're not. That's just, that's, that's just my personal opinion. Though. Right. I know everybody's different, though. Well, there's other that. factors that, that also go into that, like things that might distract you, being with students um, that are on a, on a certain path or that are more like-minded mm-hmm. or whatever. I know a lot of it's a lot of politics and a lot of other factors that come in that. Just me personally, I'm the same way. I'm not like anti-magnet right, right. school, but I, I love public school and it, it worked for me. And I feel like I'm just as smart as people that I know went to these fancy right. schools. But the but the magnet schools, one of the one of the things that they have going for them is that the children in those magnet schools, uh, they don't have a choice. The parents don't have a choice but to be involved and be engaged. But the regular schools, uh, when you put in, like I said earlier, when you busy living, that's right, putting food on the table, it's hard to go to a PTA meeting and participate like you like you want to. Right. I'm not trying to give people an excuse, but uh, there's a different level of engagement from parents and the community when it comes to those magnet schools than it is with the regular school. True. And that's the key when you got people engaged in your education from the beginning to the end. And the magnet schools got you from the beginning to the end. I don't know if like I don't know if I wanna like go that that I me personally not go that deep into it, but I also feel like, you know, as I say the parent that that wants their child in a magnet school that you no know, like pushes their child to go to magnet school and they pass the test, they get involved, they get into it, right? That parent also will probably want to do more just because, like, I, you know, I, I want you to do well. I want you to be in the school. I want you to feel like, I want you to feel like, you know, all the other uh, students, parents can come here. It's more some somewhat of a competition, but also at the same time, it's like you got to make a dedication as well. So, you right. know, you got your, your your son, your daughter in this magnet school. Now you also have to go ahead and put like put yourself um, on this uh, discipline to make sure you attend these events right. and stuff like that. So. I I think it's, it's it could be beneficial because you could have a, a mother or a parent who didn't do it right. when they when their child was in public school, right? But then did it when their child went to a a, a magnet school. That's right. As a means, I've to, seen I'm exactly. I've seen that. I'm gonna discipline myself as well. I've seen that. What you just that, that what yeah. you just described. I've seen it. A child that was uh, I had a parent who had children to Glen Hills and she had children in the magnet school, and her participation level at the uh, Glen Hills. Was a lot less, <laughs> uh, but that's the way I it got is. You. But I mean, I, I from my standpoint, I haven't been in your shoes. I don't, I don't necessarily see nothing wrong with it. I I think it's one of those things where some like you said you learn better, you do better, right? Right. So you, if you feel like magnet is better, you also gonna at this point be more involved as well. Right. That's also better. So, but see, my job as a principal anyway is to help that parent and close the gaps for that parent that can't be involved, that's trying to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. My job, even though it's not written in the book, that this phrase is what you need to be doing, my job is to do everything I can to close that gap for that parent who want to be involved, but they work. And I, and I give you one example. 
we had a PTA meeting. <clears throat> like I told you, my, my principal, when I was assistant principal, told me the reason why they, and I told him only 15 people showing up, and I told him I think we can do better if we do these things. So when I became the principal of Glen Hills, I said, now I can make some change mm-hmm. that I told him about that he didn't want. So what I did was I got all the teachers and told them what my plan was and I had them to buy in, which I'll think, do you think this will work? Yeah, that's afraid it work. So it ain't just Wayne Fred by himself. Right. That's the first Not thing. I got to get the buy in. Right, right. <clears throat> so I said, the teachers, what I want you to do is get a phone law. I want every teacher at the beginning of the year to call every parent before uh, the first month of school is in. Call them and tell the parents your name and what you teach and tell them whatever child they got in your class. And when you tell them Willie is in your class, make sure you tell them something positive about Willie. Don't cause see a lot of parents will be shocked when somebody call them and tell them their child doing good. Mm-hmm. Call them and tell them, ma'am, I'm Miss Ann. Willie's in my class and he is just a wonderful spirit. He came to school today. He had his pants up and he was so nice and he helped me open the door. Uh, he was a nice Jesus. That's just a nice human being. And then I say, now if it's at the end, he did something real raunchy or crazy. Tell him, tell say that at the end. Then she say, however, ma'am, well, the only thing he did do, he called me a bald head uh, B today. And just <laughs> talk to him on the back and just say, you know, uh, tell him about, you know, saying bad words and that kind of thing. But tell him at the end. Right. First of all, if the child bad, the parents already know they bad. But every parent want to hear something good about their child, no matter, mm-hmm. no matter uh, what it is. And then you tell them, if we have a PTA meeting or something, I'm going to give you about a month or so notice when we're going to have it. So you call all the parents. In your phone log, you write down the time you talk to the parent. And if the parent can come, let, let, let them know the time and the date, the place, whatever. If they can't come, is that something you can do to help them? If they say, I need transportation, put that and let me handle that. If they say, uh, that I can't get off, put a check mark by that and bring that to me. Because see, if I want parent, if I want teachers to do something, uh, I got to be involved as the principal also. I can't expect them to take care of all of it. I just want them to make the call right. and give me the part that they can't handle. Uh, if they say that I got to work, let me know who that parent is. Give me the phone number. If they say they got, they, they got babies at the house they can't leave, give me that parent and let me handle and give me the number. Then. When I call them, I say, I understand, ma'am, you need transportation. We're going to get a bus. The bus that bring the children to school, that know the route where you live and everything, we're going to get a bus to come get you. The bus driver make $20 an hour. We're going to find $20 more an hour for him and pay him double that price to drive that bus that night. Because bus drivers need to get paid, did, too. Did, did that work? Did you, did, I'm finna tell you. I'm finna, I'm finna lay it on you, baby. The next thing they say, can't. The parents who say they cannot get off work, I wrote a form, just a regular letter, to every place that they say they work, to their bosses, McDonald's, Burger King, Walmart, uh, SRS, or whatever. Sir, ma'am, this is Dr. Frazier. Miss Ann, work on your facility. We having a, a PTA meeting on this night. Uh, can, is there any way you can allow her to be off without penalty? If it's if so, if anything we can do to help, 
like pay or salary that day or whatever. Every organization that I wrote wrote me a note back or either called me and, uh, and thanked me for uh, getting them involved and then charge, didn't have no penalty for none of the parents. Only thing they said they want the parents to do is write a, for me to write a slip saying that they was at the meeting. Mm-hmm. And what was the other one? Babysitting. Bring the babies with you. When the bus come get you, bring the babies. We got a room for them. We got a, a certified teacher and babysitter that's going to have some snacks for them, and they're going to watch some uh, educational cartoons or movies or whatever. Bring them with you, you see. So I closed all them gaps. The first PTA meeting we had, we had 300 parents. Mm. 300, and we never had a PTA meeting after that with less than 100. You see, so what I'm saying is this. Like my boss that said that he sent emails out and he sent a flyer home and he do this. Okay, but you're you still getting 12 or 15 pounds, so you're doing the same thing, getting the same results, expecting something different. Now, how I did that, and this is how, just how some people are, I didn't expect the people, my bosses or anything, to say that's a good idea or implement it somewhere else. Uh, matter of fact, that kind of thing, believe it or not, but the kind of people that we have some in some places, uh, that works against you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate. That's what kind of people we have. The people who say they for the children and they for change and they want to do something different. It's according on who doing it. If they do, if they think of it, it's all right. Or they friends think of it, it's all right. But there are certain people not allowed to have ideas. You see, but I, you can't stop that, or you can't you can't let that stop you. True. Um, <clears throat> I got two more questions. Uh, uh this one: uh, What do you think is missing in the classroom ten years later after your success at Glen Hills? What's missing in the classroom? Yeah, like if you. Just your opinion of what's missing in the classroom ten years later after your success at Glenn. I think that I think the thing that's missing in the classroom basically is a well-paid teacher for doing what we expect him or her to do. It's hard to get out of teachers what we need from them when they and a lot of these teachers our families also. You see. But we we expect a lot, in my mind, too much uh, from teachers who, and some of them are suffering. Just some of them are suffering, like some of the children they have in the classroom. You see, a lot of times I saw this caption one time where they had about ten children, fifteen children in this classroom, and they had a uh, in this caption they had a cloud over each one of those students' head with a caption inside of the cloud. One of those caption was AIDS on this particular student. One of them was uh, uh, being raped by a parent over this particular child. One had over, over a child was uh, cat cancer. Uh, it was all kind of devastating thing that these children was going through in this one classroom. Now just take that and put a cloud over the teacher head. Mm. And see what she going through. A jealous boyfriend or a husband beating upside the head or or on food stamps. Cause a lot of people don't think that these these teachers on welfare, 
uh, uh, I ain't gonna say we. I just say get food stamp. They they don't make enough money to provide for their families and children. Right, right. So it's a lot of things these these teachers are going through also, and didn't have to deal with these these children going through the same or worse. You see, so I think right now we need to relook and see uh, what we can do if we want a good education system. We got to pay for it. You can't say we want a good education system and pay uh, teachers just like you worse than you pay uh, uh, McDonald's work or whatever. Not saying McDonald's is bad, but it's, you don't have to, they don't make a lot of money in McDonald's. But we you, pay teachers worse sometimes. You ever worked at McDonald's? Mm-mm. I, the first f- fast food I was at a place called Mr. Swiss in Shreveport, Louisiana. The man told me he had put me off the burgers and put me on there, just clean up in the house because you just can't <laughs> make them burgers fast enough. So. <laughs> I had to be the cleanup man. I mopped the floor and everything. Uh, and you didn't work at Walmart either. No Walmart. No, uh-uh. Gotcha. Uh, I, this. So, uh, what do you believe will be your legacy as an educator and school-based leader? I would say that uh, based on what I hear directly from the students that I have had the opportunity to serve. Uh, and when you say legacy to me, when I hear that word legacy, it, it sounds like a somebody important and somebody who made an impact and somebody who done did something out of, out of the norm or whatever. I just say what I hope it would be. I don't know. I don't know what it'd be, but I, what I, what I would hope it would be is that, uh, I treat it all the children, especially children, as human beings. And the reason I say that is because, and, and I know it's harsh to say it, but I've seen children, not res- by teachers and people who so they love them, I've seen these same people disrespect children and, and, don't, and don't treat them as human. And, I, and all these children need, to me, when you respect them, you know, they expect these children to respect us. But uh, I've, 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 I've sit with some of my peers and a boy, young man walk up. If he got his pants sagging or got dreads or whatever, just look different, I'll put it that way, or some gold teeth. I've sit with some men my age and look at them and say, <clears> look at me, I'll be, ain't nothing but old damn thug. need to be locked up somewhere. Ain't never seen, never seen this child before. Just based on the parents. Know. Right. You see, so, and I've seen people who, and these people are good church people, you see, but these are the kind of things that's going through their head, and this is how they talk about our children that they never met. I think they've been given a script to think about our children that way. Somebody, they just wake up that way. I think they didn't got a script somewhere, and somebody told them, this is what you need to be thinking. <laughs> but I see too much of that. So I would just say I would like to be remembered as someone who treated especially children, especially poor children as human beings. Because mm. I don't see a lot of that coming from us. Uh, it's, worse, it's, it's worse now than I've ever seen it. Even, and even where I come from, as poor I grew, as poor as I was, these children got it 10 times worse than me. Because I did have places where I can exhale. And I had people around me that, that would talk to me and encourage me. You see, when I walk out my neighborhood, I ain't got to worry about getting shot. I ain't got to worry about... Uh, uh, adults abusing me, you see. I had somebody in my life where I can talk to and tell them about my feeling, what I'm feeling inside. 
and somebody asked me and was concerned about how I felt. And said, these children don't have that on a regular basis today. These children, these children are suffering socially and emotionally with no one, no adult person to talk to. I'm looking. I talk to them every day. I know who they are. And we going along just like it's whatever going on with me, it's their fault, you see. Then we going back to watch the ball game or go back to church or whatever we do. It's, in, it's not at my doorstep. So I just want to be, hopefully, I can be remembered as I, I treated them uh, humanely. I, I think a good follow-up question to what you just said is, uh, I know earlier, and I know I want to delve back on that at some point, earlier you mentioned uh, a teacher, you know, who would, uh, help, no, I don't say help you, but you know, uh, if you couldn't have the money for a trip or something else, right. paying, she'll take it to the side so you won't feel embarrassed. Right. And, but then you also had that principal that would that talk to you. And like you right. said, it wasn't the Wayne Frazier thing. It was just, that's how that's he right. did that's things, right? right. Uh, how much would you say that impacted you when you started to get into education? Well, I think that that's, that helped me be who I am today. That's That's who I... Those people I just talked to you about, that's who I am. That's what I took from them. I also had one teacher that was in the building. It's like a lot of these teachers are today. Would look at me and turn her nose up. She never did say anything to me. But I could feel that she thought less of me. I could feel it. And that's, what, that's another thing we don't understand. These children have feelings. You don't have to say nothing to them, but the way you look at them and be in the... the smirk or do whatever you do, they can feel, they know who, who, who really care for them. You see, uh, if you love children, if you love any human being and they can't feel it, it ain't no love there. Mm -hmm. If they can't feel it, you can love all, you can say that all you want to, but that's an action word and you're going to get a feeling when, uh, and I got that feeling when my principal talked to me and my, and my teacher, you see, Matter of fact, I'm sitting here at 70 years old now, and I'm reminiscing, and I can feel that same feeling at 70 years old. It sticks with you. You know who care about you. So the most important thing for me is having children to feel that way about me. Because I know I don't care about no, you know, awards and a pat on the back, teacher of the year, uh, uh, principal of the world, all that's well and good. But what is that if you didn't touch somebody that, that made that connection. There's no feeling better than that. Yeah. I, if, if my wife is listening, I ain't talking about you now, baby. <laughs> 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 hey, uh, um, I do want to say this before we got it. I want to say uh, early, I asked you a question. I said uh, unorthodox, and then you mentioned a, a situation with unorthodox, right? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> listening to you talk and talk about um, your, your action plan for to, to get in that PTA meeting to, to be full and have right. people right. Uh, I don't know if, 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 if an orthodox is the correct word. Um, I think you just kind of, I think something was important to you mm -hmm. and, and you just, you set out to make sure people knew it was important to you. Right. I don't know if that would be considered unorthodox. Though. I think because the norm would be to whatever, whoever shows up, shows up mm -hmm. and oh, well, that, your method may seem unorthodox to somebody looking from afar mm -hmm. because they're used to the norm being right. it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And and that wasn't how you how you approached a lot of things you you spoke about. So I don't know. I don't know. Just from talking to you, this is just right. from my perspective from talking to you. 
I don't know if I would say unorthodox. Now, I will say, you know, if you was really going to drive to everybody's house in, in, in Barton Village and in, in Meadowbrook, yeah. I'm not saying it's unorthodox. It's just not very common. But right, right. I can see I can see that being said, but I don't know if I will agree with it. But I, obviously, I put it this way. You can put any kind of label on it you want to, but what I try to do is look and see what the norm is. Because if you're doing the, the norm and you're not getting the results, that you're looking for, that means you got to do something different. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do different may not be in the book. That's when you start writing the book. You see, that's another thing. I won't go. I look at the books. I look. I see what the best practices are. I see what the norm and all that stuff is. And I check all that out. I do my little research. And then I do what I need to do. You know, if I go into a school and I see, uh, for instance, <clears throat> the children, I don't see children the way other people see them. Those children are an extension of us. They, if they're out there shooting each other and then gangs killing each other, uh, to me that's a symptom. If they are dropping out of school and going to jail or whatever, that's a symptom. If they are robbing and uh, doing bad things, all those are symptoms of a disease. You got cancer, you might get a headache from that cancer. You might get a nosebleed from that cancer. Uh, you might get an ache in the back from that cancer. But that ache in the back is only symptoms of the cancer. Our children have the symptoms of our behavior from us. We are the cancer. And when I say we the cancer, we didn't, them children didn't sign no uh, piece of paper that say it's all right to hear cussing and rap music every day or either come on television and see sex explicit, explicit sexual acts every day whenever they get ready, you see. They didn't, they didn't make these decisions. Out of greed and out of whatever, we made those decisions, you see. But they suffering from it because they don't have the right tools to deal with this stuff at home or wherever. But they have access to it every day. You see, so uh, yes, they have some rough symptoms, but uh, when it comes down to it, we adults uh, have the disease because if we ever, if it's no way that we can't fix this stuff because we the adults, everything that's wrong with our children, we have the capacity and the power to fix it if we have the guts. But how can I, how can you have a thriving public school? and a thriving prison, for-profit prison at the same time. They can't coexist. One of them got to fail. Mm. The for-profit prison system is thriving. So we run all that. We run the prison system and we run the school system. Ain't no way uh, I can sit here and say uh, we can't help these children get to the next level when we got people so-called walking on the moon and, uh, doing all kind of fantastic things with technology, but uh, a child coming in this world, we can't, we can't guide this child, right? We don't have enough people to do it, uh, enough educated people to do it. And then they want, me, want us to believe that. I don't believe it, baby. That's the plan. That's, it, it, this is the plan. We just got to, the people who care got to find a way to uh, uh, put, a, put a knot in that plan. Yeah. 
Uh, well, look, man, I, I, I definitely enjoyed the conversation. Um, I, I thought it, it was everything I thought it would be. Learn a lot about you, learn a lot through you, um, just in education and in, in your story. I do want to say this, though. Um, so the event for who's really in charge of the Richmond County school system uh, is October 21st, 2023, uh, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., Broadway Baptist Church. What yeah. I'll do is this, this uh, fly you sent me, Right. Any uh, snippet I make, I'll make sure I put it on in the beginning and before and after so that okay. during the week they know that we be still pushing for the people to come to the event. But, um, yeah, man, you speak well. you got a great story and um, learned a lot about you today. So hopefully people watch this and learn more about you as well, too. Well, I just uh, I hope they join me because uh, I'm, I'm on a mission, baby. Uh, you know, I got a grandson that's 13 years old. And he's not gonna make it. He got a he got a granddaddy with a doctor degree, a granddaddy who's been around the world, and then seen and done a lot of wonderful things. But my grandson will not make it if your children don't make it, or the drug dealer son don't make it, or the crackhead mama son don't make it. Our children, our our so-called children who have access to things can't make it without the other children making. And some of us think that as long as my child make it, I'm good. But I don't see it that way. So we got to, we got to work with the children who, who don't have a grandfather or a mother, you see, or caring uh, any family member. These children just, they, I see them suffering so much just for somebody to talk with. You don't got to have no lot of money to help these children. Just have somebody. They just need a listening ear or somebody to, show concern about their feelings and that'll take these children a long way because they don't mm -hmm. get that on every day. We got children suffering from the human touch. To hug a child or hug another human being is the most powerful thing you can do and that's one of the things that we are restricted from doing in the school. Don't touch. And I, and I made it my business to hug every day. Mm. You see, you ain't gonna tell me not to hug and, I, and these children are uh, well, a lot of times they're reluctant to hug, but uh, I'll put it this way. If you touch a child inappropriately, that child will know and you will know. So if you one of them kind of people, uh, that, that, that you, somebody going to know. But it's not, to me, there's nothing wrong with hugging a child because I know how it feels not to get hugged by uh, my dad especially. So uh, you have to do what, like you said, you got to step out the box. Sometimes you got to do whatever, and it's not acceptable downtown or well, but you got to do what you got to do. And for me so far, when it comes to children, uh, most of it have worked. It haven't worked for me too much downtown, but it worked where it counted. I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, man. Well, um, like I said, I enjoyed talking to you. This was great. Okay. You know what I'm saying? You did a good job. Um, I wish you the best, and um, the event next week. I'm, my goal is to try to promote it all through the week with clips and clips okay, and clips. Okay. So I definitely appreciate it. You can say, you can say, you can say. I'm moving. Yeah, you can, okay. I'm just letting you know we ended it. <laughs> so okay. kicking you out. <laughs> right. uh -huh. Morning Madness podcast. We out. Yeah, but uh.